Welcome to the Insightful Voices podcast, a show that aims to cover a variety of topics affecting the legal profession. And now your host, Shaoli Katana. Welcome to Insightful Voices. My name is Shaoli Katana, and I'm a director here at the Maryland State Bar Association. I'm joined today by Scott Mursky, a principal in the Employment Law and Litigation Practice Groups at Paley Rothman, a regional firm in Maryland and Virginia. Scott has over 20 years of experience in this field and joins us today to talk about vaccine and mask mandates and protocols in the workplace. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Shally. How are you? Thank you for having me today. Thanks for being here. Uh, This is such an important issue and ever-changing. So before we talk about the current climate, I'd like to start by going back to the end of 2020 as employers discussed vaccine mandates for employees returning to the office. Here's a clip from an interview you did with Fox 5 at the time. Of course, companies are going to have to decide if they do make it mandatory, how they're going to police that and how they're going to handle people who don't want to take the vaccine. Um, Because they may, are they going to terminate? Are they going to accommodate? Nearly a year and a half later, how has the employer perspective on vaccine mandates evolved since that time? The landscape has changed. Um, We now have had the benefit of a year and a half worth of time, and we've also had um, the Biden administration make numerous attempts at trying to compel employers to uh, require their employees to be vaccinated. Um, they tried a, basically a three-prong approach dealing with an OSHA regulation that would recover that would cover uh, employers that had 100 or more employees. They tried it for federal contractors to have a mandate that would also require federal contractors to have their workers um, uh, vaccinated. And there was also a mandate through uh, the CMS, which is um, deals with Medicaid and Medicare providers in the healthcare industry. However, all of those measures uh, failed with the exception of the CMS in the, in the healthcare um, spectrum. So there is no across the board mandate now. And so you referenced uh, what the administration was trying to do regarding these vaccine and mask mandates. And we saw earlier this year, um, the Supreme Court decisions um, that we're talking about these mandates for large employers and the federal government. So could you talk about the outcome of those specific uh, cases and what impact that's had in the private sector? While these regulations were were making their way through the court system, employers were starting to get ready for them and starting to comply, we'll call it voluntarily, um, or at least getting in preparation. So it did have some uh, benefit of, of making employers, at least if they were fitting into these certain categories, to start thinking about whether or not they were going to, uh, I'm not thinking, but thinking about how they were going to comply if the mandate went into effect. Then all of the injunctions started to be filed uh, by the various states and, and organizations and, and trade trade associations. And then when it eventually made its way up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court looked at uh, the OSHA regulation um, mandate, which was the one that covered employers that were 100 or more. Uh, and, and that one also was important because it, it allowed for a testing component. You could either test to comply or you could re- or you could require vaccines. That one was unique. The federal contractor 
uh, mandate that never made its way to the Supreme Court, as well as the CMS mandate, do not have that, that component. So when the Supreme Court looked at the, the mandates, it essentially uh, invalidated or, or did not allow the OSHA regulation to, to, to go forward. And that's, again, the one that has 100 or more employees. But it did say that the one for the CMS which uh, deals with Medicaid and Medicare, did allow them to continue to, um, that one is still in effect. So even if there isn't a mandatory requirement for a lot of employers, that's really what we're seeing as a result of the cases, um, how has that impacted the employer culture and the perspective that they're bringing now um, as right. people are returning to the workplace? I think that there was some confusion regarding the Supreme Court's rulings and, and their view on the mandates. Um, essentially, the rulings dealt with whether or not the federal government could, in fact, place mandates in, in certain um, spectrums or certain industries. However, there are several states that had certain mandates that were put into place, and employers in the private sector were still free to institute their own policies and can always or have always been permitted it is not illegal in, in, except in a few states, Maryland not being one of them. It is An employer does have the ability as long as they give the, the required exceptions to require mandatory vaccinations. So now we're here, we're in year three of the yes. pandemic. And so what are the considerations that employers are, are looking at as they're trying to come up with, let's say it's protocols rather than something mandatory? Who are they turning to for guidance? Are they looking to new sources sure. um, or having new, new protocols in general? Our advice has always been to turn to the CDC, just because we always felt that they would provide guidance that an employer could then use in the unfortunate event that possibly litigation were to arise or someone would bring a claim, that if they could at least say, you know, we were following CDC protocols at the time, and, and still to date, um, even though the, the protocols have changed over time. So the, the place to go is, is the CDC. They have a lot of resources on their website. Um, obviously, when, when COVID first hit, there was a lot about social distancing and physical barriers and things of that nature. But now the guidelines um, are more focused on things like, um, you know, masking and, and just to support uh, vaccines and boosters and things of, of that nature. So the, the guidance has, has evolved, but it is a very good resource. And also it's a great resource to see um, how, how, this, how um, the COVID exposure rates are in different jurisdictions. They have interactive maps where you can link or you can search on um, even down to the county, you can get that granular uh, and see if what's classification, they're using a red, yellow, and green system. And that's classifying how severe um, the COVID uh, situation is in, in, that, in different jurisdictions, which is a valuable source uh, for everyone to look at. We're speaking with Scott Mursky today, a labor and employment lawyer with Paley Rothman. Here's an update from the association. The Maryland State Bar Association's Legal Summit in Ocean City, Maryland is back in person this May 31st to June 3rd at an all-new location, the Ocean City Convention Center. Join us as we rethink, reimagine, and revolutionize the MSBA Legal Summit. 
At this year's summit, we'll host a Maryland gubernatorial candidate forum, offer up to 100 educational programs, and plenty of chances to network and socialize. Hear from three dynamic keynote speakers. Dan Abrams, a CBS News legal correspondent, Brandon Etheridge, general counsel for the Baltimore Ravens, and MSNBC legal correspondent, Ari Melber. Don't miss the 2022 MSBA Legal Summit in Ocean City, Maryland. Or if you can't make it in person, enjoy a digital legal summit package. For more information and to register, go to www.msba.org. We're back with Scott Mursky discussing navigating COVID in the workplace. And we've heard about this concept now of mask bias. Yes. Um, and that's something that's new that we didn't really know about at the beginning of the pandemic. Could you talk about that and how that is also impacting any protocols and return to work? Mask bias or any kind of bias in, in the workplace, that's what we're talking about now, but in general, is essentially, you know, a tendency that results in a judgment without question. So it's sort of like a default view that people may have based upon the way, in this case, an individual presents. And unconsciously, when people see someone wearing with a mask, it may evoke different feelings and different feelings for different people. Uh, it may make you instantaneously think they're sick or that they're a carrier of COVID or they just got back from travel or they're vulnerable, or maybe they're making a political statement. So even though COVID is sort of in the, hopefully in the rearview mirror, there's still real scars left behind and that's where people's biases come from. But it's also why people may choose to, to feel more comfortable continuing to wear their masks if they if they so choose. And, and they might, we can't um, diminish their experience with COVID and why they may choose and what their medical condition may be. So the mask bias has sort of come upon because it's been a politically charged issue, but the, the, the bias really is that you really cannot treat anyone differently in the workforce because they have, you're choosing to wear a mask. And, and as you know, recently, many of the, the counties in the state of Maryland has stopped or ceased their, their indoor mask policy. However, many employers are still um, mandating that. And again, this is just another example that an employer can go above and beyond and, and maybe in certain, in certain circumstances actually has an obligation to keep the masking moving forward, um, because there is an obligation of an employer to keep the work environment safe. In addition to masking, I want to also look at uh, vaccinations. And so mm -hmm. now as we're having people have been boosted now, they're thinking about a second booster. Right. How does that play into the calculations of an employer? Well, I think we we first probably go back to where they were 12 months ago and, and when they had to make the difficult decision as to whether or not they were going to require mandatory vaccinations or whether they were going to um, just strongly encourage or, or take no position on it. And I now we're just bringing, for the most part, policies forward. We're not really seeing a lot of people changing years. Um, if they were a mandatory vaccine vaccination um facility or workplace, then they're usually, they are typically requiring uh, employees to get the booster. Um, if they were an encouraging mode, and that's what they were really focused on, then they're encouraging employees to, to get their boosters. But 
Um, so they're really just following along in the natural progression, but it is very difficult to track for employers whether or not boosters have been uh, in people's arms. It was a little bit easier from a tracking standpoint. Do you have the do you have the shot or not? And and people could then produce the cards. But now everyone is sort of like on this rolling scale. It's five months after the second dose of a, of a two-dose vaccine. It's it's a shorter period of time if you had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So if an employer even wants to, to monitor this, it can be very challenging. However, um, a lot of employers are still choosing to do it because they, even if it's, even if it's just uh, encouraging, because they feel like it it makes their workers who are on site feel more comfortable. We've gone through some challenging variants recently, but yes. we are seeing a trend now of people returning to work or being in a hybrid format if they hadn't been over the last two years. It would be helpful if you could speak to some specific considerations that businesses have, you know, firstly for that remote group that's coming back. Uh, right. But then now as we're in that hybrid space, what does that mean? And how do you mm -hmm. enforce? How do you mandate? How do you suggest? Uh, what What's the landscape like there? For the remote workforce, there's challenges. I mean, there's challenges both from an employment legal perspective and just also as a management perspective. I mean, how do you manage someone who is not physically in the same space. But from the legal perspective, there's hiring issues, there's onboarding issues, there's managing issues. And the, the main crux of the of the issue is, and it's the same is where is the employer employee located? Let's say you have a law firm here in Maryland, but the person that you is now hiring and that person is going to be remote is going to be working from their apartment in DC. Well, there's a lot of laws that are that are in DC that don't necessarily apply to Maryland. And some of the laws, some of the wage and hour laws, for example, say for the in, under DC law that if you work more than 50% of the time in DC, then this law applies to you. So you have to be very cognizant, especially in the remote sector, that where is your employee working? And if they if their base is no longer your office in Baltimore, um, then you have to make sure that you're in compliance with the local laws of the jurisdiction where the person is working. Hybrid is 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 equally as challenging. Um, again, if the employees for the, my DC example, if they if they're over fifty percent, then you would have to comply with certain DC laws. So the place of work is very very critical. Um, you know, time tracking is also a very critical component, especially if a, if in a person or worker is an hourly worker, you need to keep accurate time records, which is even more challenging when the person is remote, but it's your obligation. So you have to do that. Um, you also have to have, make sure you have strong policies to protect your company confidential information and property because it's probably leaving the office, even if it, or it's leaving the office in a virtual sense. So you need to be very sure that you have your, your legal documents in place to protect that. Um, and you need to review all of your employment policies to make sure that they're up to date. I'll just give one example. Um, a lot of companies three or four years ago had policies. When it snows, we close the office. And, and maybe if they're generous that we pay, maybe they say if the federal government's closed, we're closed and it's a payday. Well, now that we all have the ability to work hybrid or remote, that policy probably needs to be looked at. And probably if it's snowing, 
your office probably is no longer needs to close and you probably would expect that employee to work. So that's just an example of reviewing your policies to make sure that you that that they that they make sense in this in this new world that we're in. I think that goes to the challenge. So how do you implement a policy going forward? So I think I would like to know if you think there are some permanent uh, changes mm-hmm. in terms of these protocols that employers can say this is where we're going to go 100 yeah. percent for the future. Well, I think you know, top of mind, I think you need to have contingency plans in place. Um, as we saw with the Omicron, the variant can creep up. You may need to shut your office down for a short period of time, and you need to be flexible on how you're going to to handle that. And also, as we move into maybe the fall and next winter, you know, be cognizant of what what you're going to be doing and maybe planning ahead. Uh, you know, maybe you're shutting the office down for a short period of time after the new year or some other creative approach. But I think long term, what we're seeing, and, and we sort of have started to see it with the great resignation, which which I think is sort of a byproduct of, of everything, but it's it's happening because employees are looking for flexibility. And if you as an employer aren't willing to give them flexibility, there's probably another employer who is willing to do that. So I think as we move forward, we're going to see more and more people working remote. Um, And that is really going to be where I see the future, that policies are going to need to be in place to make sure that, that that you're remote and that you're looking at all of the different jurisdictions where you are allowing people to work remote if you are. And I think you also need to have considerations. Are you going to require even remote workers to come to the office you know, a certain amount of time? Is there going to be, a, are you willing to go fully remote or are you going to have some sort of hybrid? But I think as we move forward and, and, and we're learning that what employees want in these days appears to be flexibility. And especially with caregiving uh, issues and different types of situations that people are in these, these days and they've evolved and, and families have evolved and their living conditions have evolved. Um, the flexibility and adapting your policies to meet that flexibility is probably what's going to make uh, employers stand out in the future. Well, Scott, thank you so much for sharing this information and for joining us today on this important conversation. Um, I'm sure if we spoke to you in six months, we could we could spend another whole Definitely. podcast on this. Join us next time for another edition of Insightful Voices from the Maryland State Bar Association. Insightful Voices podcast has been brought to you by the Maryland State Bar Association, the home of the profession. Stay tuned for the next episode and subscribe now so you won't miss a moment.